Moments, memories, laughter, pain. It happened, we feel it, we experience it, and it's all part of our story. A conversation that changes everything, a circumstance that gives us perspective, beauty that takes our breath away. Life is happening now and things are moving forward. Our journey is being written and God is in our midst. And if we pay attention, we'll notice. When we trust, He inspires. When we surrender, He redeems failures. He plants vision. When we unite our efforts, we get to be a part of something beyond what we could ever imagine. God changes lives. He builds stories. And building stories is the reason we are here. I'm grateful that this church is not a social club. It's not a country club. It's not just something that you attend. Are you with me? This is a move, like we just sang. This is us taking the living scriptures of God and saying, let's go be you in our communities. Are you with me? And a lot of times that means strong truth and great, great stands. And what are they? They're not stands against people. They're great stands of love. I mean, no, true love tells the truth at the deepest level. Hey, I know this is going to offend you, young child, when you're about to stick your finger in the light socket. I know this, you're not going to be happy when I smack your hand away and I tell you you can't do it. And I know you're going to be mad at me, but it's, I love you with everything in me and I don't want to see that hurt you. Are you with me? And the churches has got, the church has got so celebratory of you winning and you having your best life now in 20 ways for you to get God's butterfly. Are you with me? Instead of saying, stop that, it will hurt you. That's what calling sin a sin is. It's saying, hey, stop doing that because that way is the end of the road. Turn then in repentance to do a 180 and go that way because it's better. Are you with me? And so this message is us. It's, 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 this message is, is full of hope and love and truth. But it's also this message of, hey, church of America, we got to stop doing this and repent. And we got to turn this way. Are you with me? History records an account of an ancient city, and uh, this ancient city, back in the day, you know, they didn't have security cameras, they didn't have security monitoring systems where uh, if things were attacked, alarms would, would trigger, trigger the uh, police departments and things like that, and so what they would do is as they built a wall around their city, in specific points, they would put a watchman on the wall. The scripture actually talks about how churches and, and uh, as we walk with God, we should have people in our lives who are our watchmen on the wall. Are you with me? And so the city, uh, the story of this city is there was a watchman on the wall who was acting in defense uh, of this city. And as he looked out, he began to notice an impending danger. But the economy of the city was so good. And the people inside the walls were so happy with their daily lives and the things that they were enjoying he thought to himself, I shouldn't give out the warning because people would resent me and there would be commerce coming to a halt and it would cost us money and it would be very inconvenient if I gave the warning of the impending danger. Are you tracking what I'm saying? And so he said nothing. Silence was what he decided to go with. And as that destruction he had warning about, as that danger made its way to him, uh, he did nothing, and when it was time for him to finally say something, it was too late, and the city was destroyed. And after time, they erected a statue there, and it said this, Here stood a town that was destroyed by silence. 
It wasn't that the enemy was too great. It wasn't that they had the opportunity to take the stand and the resources to be able to do what they were assigned to do. Instead, because of convenience and because we were going about our own thing, they decided to go silence. I'm saying this this morning. If America is going to be destroyed... If the fundamental values of of Christianity and righteousness and the way God called us to live, if that's ever going to be destroyed, it's going to be destroyed by the silence of righteous people. When it comes to topics that matter, when it comes to things that's important, if because of worry of offense and worry of convenience and, oh, it might cost us some money and, oh, it might hurt. Are you with me? But I refuse for our vertical story to be one of this community was destroyed because vertical church was silent. The lives of millions of unborn were lost because of the silence of vertical church. That is not our assignment. That is not our story. And that will not be what is said of us. Amen. Uh, A right to life spokeswoman came and met with Sam a couple weeks ago, maybe a little bit more. And she presented us with a petition to put before legislation uh, to stop the dismemberment procedure of abortion. Many of you know what that is. That's, the, that's where they you know, would rip apart uh, abortion. Proce- it's a procedure of, of this. And so when she met with Sam, uh, she said, we need as many petitions as possible for this to go in front of legislation so that it can be voted upon so that this procedure can be banned. And she said, I'm spending every day, all day going to churches and I'm going to businesses and I'm meeting to get as many signatures as possible. And uh, what she told Sam is absolutely heartbreaking. She said, you know, what's interesting is she said the majority, listen to me, the majority, now by far the majority of churches say they don't want to participate. But the majority of businesses will Do you want to know why we're here? Because we stopped being the church. Because we turned these into pom-poms instead of pulpits. And we've, are you with me? We need to be the church that stands up for truth and righteousness. But we do it with love. Here's how I put this down. We aren't born to say easy things. You weren't created to say easy things. You were born to say difficult things with Christ's perfect love. Not with a picket sign, not with a harsh Facebook article, not with sarcasm and finger pointing on Facebook and our social media. You're said to come in and say the difficult things with perfect love. When somebody experiences a pregnancy that's unplanned, we don't come in with judgment and harshness and how could you. We come along and say, how can I walk alongside you? We have a beautiful story in this church. Megan was in the first service, and she became pregnant, but she was also recovering uh, from an addiction at Teen Challenge. And she became pregnant, and it would have made all the sense in the world for her to just go have an appointment and terminate that baby. But instead, the church was positioned to be what it's called to be in the community and came alongside her. And we worked all things together, and she gave birth. And then she was able to bless that with a family who had been desiring. Are you with me? And what happened? All things work together for good. What am I trying to say? Abortion, just making it illegal, is not the answer. The answer is how can we get involved in people's lives with the perfect love of Christ? Are you with me? That's the mission and assignment of the church. It's not to be picket sign holders. And signing a petition is extremely important, but that's not where it stops. When we take a stand, we will pay a price, but we will also harvest the reward. 
the thing and the price that we're going to pay. It does not compare to the harvest of the reward that God will do when we stand for truth and righteousness. Uh, it was around election time uh, that I preached, not a political sermon, uh, but it was around voting time. And, and again, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not like, it was hard at the election because all of us were frustrated with what we were looking at. Amen. And I would actually go on to say, as much as we were mad about what we were looking at, it was a great representation of us as Americans and the things we watch and view and the way we talk and the way that, are you with me? So I got up and I preached this sermon that God put on my heart to get up and talk about truth and what the Bible says about how we should have a nation led and run a country and lead a people. How I many you know that the Israelites, when they came out of the wilderness, they were given thousands of commands. But then God narrows it down for them and he says, here's the top 10. And so what we did on that day was we looked at the top 10 commandments and we looked at just how we were voting and what we were voting on and how did some of those policies line up with the 10, the 10 commandments. And we literally went through the biblical truth. I didn't push anybody's agenda, but we just looked at what is the truth and what can we line up with. And so at that time, because I took a stand for what is biblical truth and it was a sensitive subject, uh, we lost six family members that day. And, uh, and I should say that better. It was like, you're thinking they just killed over and died. <laughs> In that sermon, I just killed them. <laughs> no. They left the church. Six families said, we're out of here. You know, serving, giving families, people connected. They were our family. And the offense for me as the pastor, the shepherd, the pastor of them who I'm so connected, because to do this job well, I have to give all of my heart. Here's all of my heart. And, and so I'm giving all of my heart to these people. And so I preached this sermon on truth. And, uh, and they left. The six families left. And not one of them took the time to actually have a meeting with me. So I've dedicated your children. I've done your weddings. I'm at your funerals. I take your phone call any time of the day. But because we see difference in opinion, then you can just leave and not even have an intelligent conversation with me. So all I'm doing with you right now is just being very honest and saying, I know what it is when I say, when we take a stand, we'll pay a price. I would venture to say probably today's sermon, we will probably see a few more people leave over this subject. But guess what? I will pay the price for truth because the reward of the harvest is greater. Are you with me? So here's the deal. We cannot let fear of man or fear of offense or fear of wonder or what are we going We're not going to be offensive. But the truth sometimes is offensive in the sense of this is offending my flesh and what I want to do. Are, are you understand what I'm saying? Proverbs 29, 25 says this, though. This is what God spoke to me about this, Proverbs 29, 25. This is how he just speaks to my heart when I worry about maybe the fear and, and what's going to, says this, the fear of human opinions disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. Do you know if myself as a, as a pastor or you as a church congregant, if you walk through your life worrying about what people are going to say or think about the truth that you're telling, it will disable your assignment in the community. It will disable your assignment in your workplace, in your home, in your school, and all of it. If you worry about man's opinion, you're being disabled. And so I'm telling you, trust in God, and he protects you from all of that. We are here to talk about how we can protect the life of the unborn. And we are here to surround with complete love for those who have participated in the act of an abortion. And so let me spend some time on this. 
I had a very difficult time. If you're somebody who's here or you've walked with somebody, you have somebody close to you that has walked through the process of an abortion, I had a very hard time bringing myself to this point on a Sunday where I could talk about this knowing you would be in the room. And why is that? The reason it is is not because if you leave the church or don't leave the church. It's because I love you so dearly. I don't want you to feel anything that's not of God. So as I talk about this with so much truth, I want you to know I love you so much. And this church loves you so much. And we're going to do absolutely every single thing that we can do to come alongside you, to get you to understand we're not rejecting you, we're not judging you. This message today is about embracing you. And so I just want you to know with all of my heart, as much as I had apprehension, God has done such a work in me that I now stand up here with such a great compassion and conviction to let you know that I'm so with you. And I'm excited to share this message. Why? Because it gets to put me alongside of you in God's perfect love. Are you with me? Here's what I would say is I would say it like this. You're not here by accident this morning. If you're somebody who's participated, whether in a family member or however you maybe have supported, here's what I would tell you is this. You are not here by accident and no sin is greater than the other. You sitting in this room, hearing this sermon is not so that you can be judged it's not so that you can be uh, felt guilty and walked on and stepped on. I want you to know that you're in this room right now because heaven has said, I want you to know that you're forgiven and you're accepted. Are you with me? I thought about it like this. As we think about there's no sin greater than another, think about this. For anybody who's walked through an abortion or walked alongside or has participated in an abortion, here's what I want you to know. Jesus died on the cross for that. The enemy may tell you, oh, what you did was so bad and it was so, but Jesus literally died on the cross saying, you know what? I'm going to be able to handle that for you because no sin is greater than another. If he died for this kind of sin, he also died for that kind of sin and you are forgiven and you are made new. That is something to celebrate. Amen. Romans 3.23 says this, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same situation as you. We are all sinners made new in Christ, and there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1 says it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, when is there no condemnation? Now. How much? Con no condemnation. I don't care what the story, I don't care what the season, I don't care the time, how long it's been, I don't care. The, the truth is when you're in Christ, there is now no condemnation in your life because you've been made new. And so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because through Christ, Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are not bound to the law of sin and death no matter what you've done when you're forgiven in Christ. It's time for us to stop looking at what it was and how you participated and start looking about what you can do going forward. You are just as qualified as anybody else to be a part of a movement that's protecting the unborn. Are you with me? So today is about all of us coming together. Here's what I would say to you if you've walked through and participated uh, in an abortion. Today is about us coming alongside you, loving you, comforting you, even seeing healing in your life. And I'm going to go as far as to say this. Listen, we so want to walk with you. 
that if you're in a position where you say, I need some healing in this, I need to talk to some people about this, please let us as the church even pay for your counseling. That's how much we're not just saying it with some scriptures. We literally are saying, let us step into your life and do this with you. Why? Because we love you and we want to see you healed and whole. So our prayer room at the end of service, you can go down there and let one of them know that you're interested in some counseling and some connecting. But we so much are for you. This message, as much as it's for uh, protecting the unborn and us being against abortion, it's also us coming along and saying, I'm for you. Church, give that a big amen. But today we're also here to talk about defending the innocent and the unborn. As I studied, I had a podcast going on my phone. And uh, I wouldn't hide it from my daughter, but last night I was just listening to a couple minutes while they were getting ready for bed. And uh, one of them made this statement about protecting the unborn. So my six-year-old daughter asked me, Daddy, what's the unborn? What's the unborn? What does unborn baby mean? And I said, well, you know, in, in our lives, we've had people close to us and ourselves uh, go through a miscarriage. And so she knows what it is for a child to be lost in that terms. But I told her, hey, it's when somebody makes the decision to terminate a pregnancy. You know, of course, I'm not using those words, but I'm explaining to her they've made the decision. And this is the six-year-old child like mine. This is what she says to me. Daddy, do those people go to jail? Isn't it interesting that a child can understand that it's not okay for us to end a human life? Now, again, I'm not up here saying you are a criminal and you should be in jail. I'm not trying to say that. But what I am trying to say is it should absolutely be illegal for us to end the life of an unborn child. Are you with me? And so here, here's what I'm thinking in this process. She hears this and she understands. Of course, it's not okay for us to do that. We should defend and we should have things in place that say this is not okay. Kind of like we do for the bald eagle eggs and all these other species that we say, hey, these are valuable. These have value. Are you with me? And I know that's a played and, and worn out analogy, but it still makes it true. How, how come we can look at an egg and say that embryo in that stage and that thing has value and we should protect it? But over here we can say, oh, it's just tissue and it's just, are you with me? I think it's important for us to just really look at things from a realistic mindset of maybe even a six-year-old daughter who can go, wait a minute. We believe and we know it's true that the scripture teaches us that the Bible values the unborn life. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Every conception, every life, I believe, gets a spirit, and then it is a being. Amen. Yes. Psalm 139 verse 13 says this, For you created my utmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There's a knitting together. There's a process that God is involved in. It's called the miracle of life. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are so wonderful, I know full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You were formed in your mother's womb. Inside that womb, God is working and he's moving and he's operating on the life of the unborn. 
Scripture says that God's eyes saw us. He said when he was unput together. What is, it, what is the writer talking about here? He's talking about embryo. When I was just this little thing that was still yet being formed, God's eye was on it and for it. How much more so should the eye of the church and for us as human beings, how much more so should we be for that? Luke chapter 1 verse 41 is another example. You see Mary and Elizabeth, they're, they're best friends and they're both pregnant, one with Jesus and one with John the Baptist. And the scripture says when they see each other, they begin to speak life and word over one another. Blessed are you, woman of God. They start speaking over one another. And the scripture says, Jesus and John the Baptist, they both leap in the womb. The scripture says, then one is filled with the Holy Spirit. Where? Inside the womb. You want to talk about a women's rights story? How about that? A couple powerful women show up on the scene. They start speaking prophetically the word of God over one another, and supernatural things happen. That's pretty powerful for women. Are you with me? And so you can see all of these things in Scripture. Listen, if it's placed in Scripture and God gives account and gives a credit to what was happening in the womb in his holy word, how much more so should we value what happens in the womb when it comes to every single day of our life? So I'm actually sorry, Mayor Pete in South Bend, Indiana. I actually in a disagreement with you when you came out this week and said that life begins... With breath. He says life begins with first breath. And he tried to connect it to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, he says, because God breathed into Adam and Adam took breath, and the scripture says there was life. Now, what we actually know is God breathed spirit into Adam and then said, You have life because you have spirit of God in you. And so I don't believe you have the right to terminate a life if we, all the way up until we catch the first breath. No, that's not what Genesis was talking about. And as a matter of fact, Pete, if you want to keep going, if we're going to stay in Genesis chapter 2, if that's the truth about when life begins, then if we're staying in Genesis chapter 2, you got to find a way to make sure that every single woman somehow comes from a rib from now on. Because if that's how life begins, then you're playing in that chapter then I guess every single woman from now on has to come from a rib somehow. And that's not how it works. Amen. I mean, I practice. I try. I know how it works. I needed the humor break. So Mayor Pete is wrong. Uh, I am a seven for you Enneagram people. I'm a seven, which makes me an internal optimist. I'm always glass half full. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a minimizer. Uh, the train could be coming, and the car is stuck on the track, and I'm like, it's not going that fast. We'll be fine. <laughs> and so it takes a lot to get me down. But I remember last year when I saw in New York an ovation in the courtroom when the full-term abortion legislation law passed where you could then terminate a life all the way up to birth, when that got passed as being allowed and that place erupted like someone scored the game-winning touchdown. My heart sunk so bad, and I thought to myself, like, is this really the world that we're going to live in? That people jumped out of their seat at the ability to be able to terminate a life at full term. I thought about, uh, for me, again, just, just listening and, and just seeing the, the place of the world. I watched an interview with the governor of Virginia, and he's sitting here literally discussing how should we go forward 
in allowing a child to die after being birthed. So he's discussing the processes and the plans for an abortion that uh, after being birthed, how we could allow, of course, peacefully a baby to die after birth. And they're having this discussion on radio like not a big deal. You may have seen this week that a hospital in Illinois created a comfort room for surviving aborted babies to die in, quote, peace. And when you look at the room, there's literally a medical label where they place the child that says, remains of baby. Isn't it interesting? Just a few minutes over here, it's not considered a baby, but then over here, we call it a baby. Again, I'm, I'm not up here with scary stories and all this kind of stuff to get us to, what I'm getting up here to say is like, church, we did this. There's comfort rooms in Illinois where children can die in peace because the church hasn't taken its place. Are you with me? Uh, Abby Johnson, uh, who's the director, she's a big part of the movie Unplanned. Uh, you should look her up. She's absolutely amazing. Uh, she tells this great story. I'm going to read much of her transcript, but just an incredible woman being used by God in amazing ways. Uh, but the movie Unplanned, you should absolutely go see. Listen, uh, Redbox is fine or whatever, but I'm telling you, you should leave here and pay full price for the movie. Go on and pay the full price. Why? So that this work and this move gets funded and supported. Are you with me? So this movie is called Unplanned, and she tells her story, a true story, a real-life story of how uh, she became a part of Planned Parenthood. She was introduced to Planned Parenthood when she uh, went to go to school at Texas A&M. And she says this. These are, again, her words. Got to remember, she worked eight years for Planned Parenthood. She was actually their employee of the year. So this isn't somebody with a smear campaign telling half-truths. This is a woman who gave her life to this. She says this. Wherever there are vulnerable women, there is Planned Parenthood. Wherever there's vulnerable women, there's Planned Parenthood. Why? Because Planned Parenthood understands if we can get to them first with our message, we win. And here's why I bring it up is because this, if you are not talking to your children about the beauty of sexuality and what the Bible says, somebody else will and it will be the wrong message. It'll be the, the, a message that's not of God. So why do we take the time on a Sunday to talk about a sensitive subject like this? Because if we don't, somebody else will, and it'll be the wrong message. So that's what happened to Abby. She goes to college, and they get her hooked, and she begins to participate. And for eight years, she gives her life to this abortion clinic known as Planned Parenthood. She, her whole time, thought she was helping women. She thought she was doing the right thing. They told her it's women's care and it's women's right and we're helping the women. And so for all this time, she thinks she's doing the right thing. She goes on to say that uh, most women who work in these clinics, they don't love abortion. They think that they're helping women. She goes on to call it a misguided compassion. These women are walking in a misguided compassion and therefore they're operating this way. Can I tell you something, church? Do you want to know how a misguided compassion ends up at a place like Planned Parenthood? It's because the church wasn't in the right place to show them true compassion. We weren't taking our place to be able to raise up women like Abby and say, hey, this is a place. Are you with me? So Planned Parenthood got to it first, and then she walked out misguided compassion. The church needs to take its place. We need to stop hoping that everything the church does, does in one hour, once a week, and I'm only going to come every other week. Well, we've got time to go down that road, but... So she found herself running an abortion clinic. Just a few years in, she's already herself had two abortions during this time. 
because they taught her, you need to know your truth and then you can make your choices because it's a popular agenda to believe you have your truth and you have your truth and I have my truth and you have your truth. There's no absolute truth. You make a decision based on your own truths and that's all that matters. But how many of you know we believe in an absolute truth? And one day we'll be judged on what we've done with the absolute truth and the word and the ways of God. Amen. So abortion science is taught. And so she's thriving in her career. She's the employee of the year and she gets pulled into a budget meeting. And they tell her, hey, we need you to double the quota of abortions this year. This is the first time in her life that the scales begin to come off her eyes and she thinks, double the abortion quota. Wait a minute. Our catchphrase is that abortions should be safe, legal, and rare. Safe, legal, and rare. How in the world do we have a quota in the first place if they're supposed to be rare? And why in the world would you be asking me to double it? Well, I can tell you why. It's because they're in it for the wrong reason. I didn't say it in first service, but you just found of another person in Illinois, a doctor who died and had over 2,200 remains of aborted fetuses in his house. The industry is not healthy, you guys. It's not helping women. Are you with me? So they want it doubled. She begins to just wonder, why? Why double? Why quota? Why are we acting this way? Because she's had this misguided compassion. One day she's called into an ultrasound. It's called an ultrasound-guided abortion where somebody holds on the mother's stomach uh, an ultrasound device, and then they can navigate the procedure to perform this abortion. Now, she's not a nurse. She's a therapist. She also just runs an office. And so she's not supposed to be a part of this. But again, they don't care. Their mission is to just complete the job and fill the quota. So they call her in and she's holding the ultrasound probe on the belly of this mom. And the doctor, the abortionist says this, I need you to hold that there so that I can, quote, visualize the target. They aren't into helping women. They don't care about the value of these human lives. Are you with me? This baby's 13 weeks along. It's a baby boy, 13 weeks along. And it's at this point in its process, it's fully formed hands, feet, fingers, all the things that it needs. It has brain waves functioning. All the things that it needs is in place. All it needs to do is be grown and nurtured and cared for by its carrier. It needs to allow that process where God fearfully and wonderfully continues to make it and grow it. Are you with me? But instead, she's looking down on this thing and realizes for the first time, oh my gosh, we are about to destroy this 13-week-old baby boy in the name of choice. She realizes this is a baby. This is not, this is not tissue because she's been trained. A baby is only a baby if it's wanted, according to abortion science. Tissue, if it's not wanted, it's tissue that can be removed, terminated, and disposed of. She watches on the ultrasound guide. She sees that suction device go into the uterus of the woman, and it pokes that 13-week-old baby boy in the side. And it startles him because he just got poked with an instrument that's unfamiliar. That's not going to help him be nurtured and fearfully and wonderfully made. And so it pokes him, and as it gets nearer and nearer and starts to press him to the back, he begins to flail his arms and push away and act like crazy to get away from it and there's nothing he can do nothing is there to protect him and so then the abortionist says this to the nurse turn on the machine with these words he says beam me up scotty 
And she sees that suction begin to just dismember and tear apart a 13-week-old boy's life through a tube and into a disposal, all in the name of your truth and all in the name of choice. I mean, no, she saw in her life what was perfectly formed, knit together, become dismembered and destroyed. Abby says, I knew from that day going forward, I saw a grave injustice, and I would vow to spend the rest of my life defending the unborn. I'll close with this. Listen, it is not enough for us, church, to just make abortion illegal. We would love to just uh, get into a position in our life where we say, uh, oh, if we just make it illegal, the problem is solved. Phew, if we just pass enough stuff and then we make it illegal, all the problems are solved. Can I tell you something? A primary antidote to abortion is fatherhood. A primary antidote is godly men being godly men in our country. We got to do more than just make it illegal. You can't have men in our country that are calling themselves Christians be addicted to pornography and driving a culture of lust and pursue. Are you with me? Because then it causes women to think, I have to be like that and I have to perform like this. And they put themselves in situations. And then when they become pregnant, the man just gets to run away. If as a Christian, you're a part of the pornography culture, can I tell you something? You're fueling abortion today. Say, how can you say that? Well, because it's rampant in that culture and also just creates a lifestyle of insane lust. Can't call for righteousness when it comes to abortion, but then also dabble in the unrighteousness of sexual immorality. Just making it illegal won't solve the problem. We have to be the people that we're called to be. The church also needs to be what it's called to be. When a young woman becomes pregnant and it's unplanned, we need to not judge them. We need to not look down on them and say, oh, look at you. You should have done this. You should have done that. Again, you heard me say, instead, we need to come alongside them and ask them how we can be a part of their story. You walk through the grocery store and you see a young woman who's pregnant. She's not put together. And you can tell she doesn't have her life together. And she probably didn't plan to have that pregnancy. And you walk by and you say, oh my gosh, look at her. I was just messing around, probably got pregnant, just living that ungodly lifestyle. Now just going to live off the government. Yeah, well, she's certainly not going to live off your godliness because you ain't showing any. I had a woman this week say to us, the very last place that she would have gone to get help when she was making a decision about having an abortion, the very last place she would have gone is the church. Shame on us, because we should be the very first. The neighbor in your community, if there's a situation like this, should be busting your door down. Because you're supposed to be so full of love and not judgment. Because it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. It's not your picket sign or your Facebook post. Sit down. It's the love that we're carrying on the inside of us, the perfect love of Christ. That's going to lead people. Are you with me? I don't care how high you lift your hands in worship. (laughs) What do you do with your hands throughout the week to help people? Are you with me? It's not just enough for us to make abortion illegal. I love what Abby Johnson says. She says, we need to make abortion unthinkable. Oh, I have this unplanned pregnancy. What should I do? Abortion is not an option. I'm going to run to the church door because they love me and they care about me and they're going to stand with me and they're going to guard me. And they're going to value me. And they're going to value my unborn. 
But here's the deal. We pray things like, uh, God, I want to be a part of revival. Lord, I want to be a part of revival. Use me in a revival. God, I, I, I want to see you use me to do miracles. God, I, I wish I could be a missionary and I wish I could change the world. To you, this looks like a pen. But can I tell you something about this pen? It's what we just worshiped. It's the start of a move. Are you with me? This pen, when you go down to that petition and you click this pen and you sign your name, you're walking in revival. Do you believe that this morning? You're going to go down and you're going to start a movement. You're going to be a part of what I believe God is doing an incredible work. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. You got to take it serious. It's a legal document. So we have three different stations set up here in the foyer. You have Kent County, Ottawa County, and Allegan County. And we would love for you to fill that out today. Here's another step we need you to take. If you know of somebody 18 years or older, you got a sister or a brother, maybe you got kids old enough back home or somebody, and you know that they would sign that immediately, you have one week. You could take it with you, have them sign it, and bring it back to us either throughout the week or next Sunday. we got one week to do it. But we need to get as many petitions signed as possible. Now take it serious. Go back there and pay attention. Make sure you do it right. Because again, it is a legal document that we have to do properly. But you want to be a part of a revival? You want to you change the world? Take a pen and go fill. And that's the beginning of a move. Amen. You never know what. I told you it's hard to take a stand, but the, but the reward is worth it. You don't know what the click of this pen is going to reveal to you when you get to heaven. You don't know what you're going to see and learn and find out on the other side by going down and taking the time to stand in the hallway. Let's make an effort. Let's be passionate about what God's passionate about, which is the unborn. Are you with me? I thought about this. The heartbeat bill. You say, is it even going to make a difference? I'm telling you, God is moving. The prayers of the righteous are actually beginning to make a difference in this area. The heartbeat bill, which says that when there's a fetal heartbeat, there's no longer uh, abortion allowed. Uh, the heartbeat bill has already passed in nine states, and they say there's 20 more states that it's likely to pass in. Come on, it matters what you do today. Amen. And then my last thing is this. I, I just want to say this again to anyone who's been uh, a part of the abortion process. Please, please hear my heart. I'm not moved to tears because of the thing. I'm moved to tears in all of this because of just this whole thing. I don't want it to be an offense, a rejection, a judgment. I actually want you to leave here feeling the embrace. The embrace of me, the embrace of this church, and the embrace of the truth and love of God that you're forgiven, you're righteous, you made new. Amen.